0: Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information that you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community, because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am here with Karen Buxman, who is a neurohumorist, and she's going to tell us about that, a speaker and an author. So, Karen, thank you so much for joining us.
1: I am delighted. <laughs> thank you for the invitation.
0: Oh, my pleasure. So, can you start us off by telling us what it means to be a neurohumorist and give us some background on your work? <laughs> I know what the
1: listeners are thinking. Oh my, another neurohumorist. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um I live at the intersection of humor and the brain mm. and absolutely am giddy over all that we have found at this wonderful intersection. I've I've actually been researching the brain and humor for 30 years now. I mean, uh, uh, uh. I started, of course, as a child, but um, <laughs> I was in grad school and um, my advisor's finally supported me when I said, I want to look at the relationship between humor, health and communication. Mm -hmm. And so little had been done back then. People had heard of Norman Cousins. And if they hadn't, if they're not familiar with Norman Cousins, a lot of them are familiar with his story. Um, He is a gentleman who he suffered a debilitating illness, which um, technically is called ankylosing spondylitis. And his doctors told him that it was degenerative and ultimately could be terminal. And he, with the help of some close friends and the approval of his physicians, uh, actually checked himself out of the hospital
0: mm.
1: and across the street into a hotel, where he still was able to, you know, get fluids and nourishment and and I think vitamin C therapy was also an important part. But the biggest Difference in his treatment with all others was the fact that he was friends with Alan Funt, and for those who are really young listening to this, and they're going, "Who the heck is Alan Funt?" Um, <laughs> he produced a show called Candid Camera, and mm-hmm. if you're going, "What the heck is Candid Camera?" YouTube it, Google it, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but it was it's like very- it's like punked yes yes generation. yes yeah <laughs> and so it was very very funny at the mm. at the time now we look at it it was like oh that's kind of slow but at the time hysterical yeah and so um he watched funny videos that alan funt would bring him and found that um you know 10 to 20 minutes of belly laughter would bring him two hours of pain-free sleep mm. and he continued this and over time his um his counts dropped, the inflammation in his body dropped. Uh, He um, reduced his pain. He got better and better until he actually cured himself of the disease and then uh, wrote a book about it, Anatomy of an Illness, and years later um, went on to repeat his self-experiment with um, a book called The Healing Heart when he Mm -hmm. suffered a very serious heart attack. And the doctor said, you know, your heart's never really going to fully recover and you'll always be an invalid. And given the same process, he showed them, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he just, and then his, um, his landmark book, I think though is uh, a book that he went on to write uh, years after that, which really is such a foundational piece in the field of psychoneuroimmunology, And, um, that book, um, is is just um, filled with lots and lots of information, on, and in you know, at a at a consumer's level, at a layperson's level, mm. on how to experience more ha- improved health by doing things that, um, particularly at that time and even now, are considered um, alternative, hopefully more complementary means of dealing, um, and treating an illness. And so all that to say that at the time, uh, it was, it was something that was very different. And so people started asking me to share my findings and, oh my gosh, I was so excited. And I was all ready to share My first academic presentation about the P value of less than 0.05. And (laughs) I discovered that people thought I was funny. It was like, who knew? Um, so I started getting the requests more and more and it was like kind of snowballing. And so I had to make a decision. Am I going to continue to teach at a college or am I going to speak? And so I thought knowing nothing about being self-employed, do not try this at home. (laughs) I just quit my job and said, I'll do this for a year. If it works, I'll do it for another year. And if it doesn't work, I'll go back. Mm. And, um, that was 28 years ago. And so (laughs) (laughs) this has taken me around the planet Mm. and I have worked with, I have worked with children. I have worked with adults. I've worked with the elderly. I've worked with healthy people. I've worked with unhealthy people. I've worked with um, rocket scientists, literally Mm. at NASA showing them that humor is not rocket science. Um, (laughs) I have worked with financial planners. I've worked with CEOs and presidents, and I've worked with housekeepers and maintenance men. I mean, the the beautiful thing about this is that it's applicable to all people, all ages. And um, a little bit later, we can talk about the fact I'm working on a new book uh, that's going to be out This October. Oh, that's exciting. 2019. And um, it's about humor and influence. But in putting together this book for uh, Forbes books, what I just, we built tools and processes and assessments. And what I realized was that these tools and processes remain the same regardless of your desired outcome. Mm. How you might implement them might be a little different given your filters, but whether your desired outcome is better, Health, whether your desired outcome is more money, whether your desired outcome is a better loving relationship with your spouse or your children, whether you your desired outcome is a, a greater connection to your your vision of spirituality, your God, what you know, whoever and whatever that might be for you it's, it's very much the same process. And Mm -hmm. so I'm so excited about this. And so we now have tools and a lexicon. um, And, and so this is my life's work. This is what I'm going to do until I'm all used up and until I'm too fatigued to throw the, my luggage in the overhead baggage (laughs) compartment (laughs) (laughs) when I don't appreciate TSA fondling me anymore.
0: (laughs) I always appreciate that person. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, sometimes it gets lonely on the road. So
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you also have um there's a TED Talk that we'll we'll link to yes, um yes. on Thank the website. Said. Yes, absolutely. And it's a it's an awesome TED Talk. It's like under 20 minutes, so it's really easily yes. digestible. And um really the focus of that talk is about the intersection of health and humor, which is exactly yes. why you're on the show today. Yes. And you know, we know that your mission is to improve the world through humor and laughter and and heal the humor impaired as you say on your website Mm -hmm. which I think is fantastic can you talk to us about the role that humor plays in health with particular regard to invisible and chronic illness and I I know we're going to get into your personal experience of that but um just from your findings and your research where does all of this intersect
1: wonderful question thanks Lauren Um, yeah you know going back to the brain and you've seen the, the TEDx talk and, and, you know, for those who are listening, I'd love for you to, uh, to go take a, a look at it. But, but humor is a whole brain process. Mm. And when we experience humor, what we're doing is we're firing off this cascade of neurotransmitters, which affect every body system. Mm-hmm. Every single body system. Um, it helps us physiologically. It helps us psychologically. It helps us socially and even spiritually. And I like to remind people that humor has the power to heal. It has the power to connect. It has the power to influence. And it has the power to enlighten. Mm-hmm. And so for people who are dealing with unseen or invisible disabilities, um, it's a holistic process. Mm-hmm. And it helps people physiologically, it helps them psychologically, and it helps them socially. So help me keep on track here. Let's take a look at this.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: and, and so um, so first, let's look at physiologically, mm. because research has shown that humor has the power to do so many things for us. Um, it's a combination of humor and laughter. And mm. It, this sounds a little bit picky, but you can have humor without laughter and you can have laughter without humor. And I love Absolutely. the sweet spot when we have both. Yep. Laughter is merely the physiological response of humor, but it does have some interesting effects on its own. Mm-hmm. So when we're experiencing humor and laughter, um, all the body systems are affected. So let's just kind of go through them for the people here. Um, for one, it's your, um, your cardiovascular system. Uh, humor... And laughter, when someone is experiencing this, it increases the heart rate. Um, It actually increases the blood pressure a little bit. But then it brings it down below normal. Mm. And there is this refractory period or this period after you've experienced humor and laughter where you do have that kind of below normal. And then it comes back up to your normal range again. But this is actually an aerobic exercise, and so for people who have ever experienced laughter yoga or laughter for no reason, you know, this is one of the effects that they get. If if you see a group of people laughing and they're doing it for more than just a a, a minute or so, <laughs> their faces pink up because of the increased circulation. They're taking off their jackets and their sweaters, you know, and they're breathing a little bit harder because they're increasing their, res- their respiratory rate. And so so this is a wonderful thing. And we also find within the vascular system that it affects our makeup of our blood cells. Um, mm. It actually shows an increase in immunoglobulins. And this is, this is kind of leaking over, leaking, that's a nurse term. It's <laughs> over. body fluids, death and dismemberment. That's what we find funny. <laughs>
0: Um, that's what we're here for today now <laughs> that's what we're here for
1: so um that this is kind of uh, the immune system as well but um but we see an increase in things like immunoglobulin a which is really important for the respiratory system we see an increase in killer t cells which are the cells that are constantly going throughout our body and looking for you know the cancer cells that could harm us or other kinds of cells that can harm us and and, you know chomp them away kind of like Mm -hmm. Pac-Man. It shows an increased immune response, a positive immune response. You know, and we have seen this on a short term, like within minutes and hours, we've seen it on a, a medium range term where it might be for days or weeks. And then we've even seen it long term where it goes on for months even. And so, particularly when people are practicing this consistently, and that's something that we're going to definitely come back to yes. a little bit later in our, our discussion here. And so, cardiovascular-wise, um, it's it's doing wonderful things. Uh, it be- this is, I'm all over the place here, but.
0: No, but um, it's so exciting. That's the thing. Yeah, I think yeah. the thing that like, the thing that I'm really getting from you is that it's so easy to sort of like get really deeply into the details and sort of go off on a tangent because there's yeah. so much rich information yeah. that we're getting yeah. and some from of your the science, are, of this. From this science.
1: And that's what I, you know, part of what I want, because we're definitely going to get into application, but I also want people to know this isn't something that Karen Buxman made up. No. And it's something that we now know because of science and, and I've written all sorts of different things about it. One of the books that I wrote was called, um, is called what's so funny about heart disease. Mm. It's not a joke book. This <laughs> is, this is a book for people who want to cope with their illness and, and do so in a, in a different manner than maybe that, that is, uh, what they might've had in mind. But the person who wrote the, um, Preface for my book or the introduction was uh, Dr. Michael Miller, who is this genius in Baltimore and has done research on humor in the cardiovascular system and he found okay, this is going to be a little technical hang here with me yep he found that people who experience laughter increase an elasticity in the endothelial lining of their blood vessels. so what that means for you is that your blood vessels are stretchier and what that means for you also is better blood pressure because when your blood vessels get harder, that volume is being forced in it, it through, you know, a, a vessel that doesn't give and your blood pressure goes up. Right. Um, what he also taught me and I don't know how I didn't learn this in nursing school, mm. but the reason people lay down plaque in their vessels which leads to heart disease and stroke is because that is our body's way of soothing the inflammation in our vessels. Mm. And so whether it's through stress and we raise our cortisol, whether it's through the stress of diet, the stress of emotion, whatever it is, we are, we are soothing our vessels by laying plaque. So if we can decrease our stress, if we can decrease our cortisol, Decrease our inflammation; it lessens the body's need to lay plaque down in mm-hmm. our vessels, and, and so that's this is, exactly
0: what humor and laughter will enable us to do: is to prevent absolutely these concerns that actually cause longer-term negative side effects. Yes, um, studies have also shown that
1: it lowers practicing healthy humor lowers your bad cholesterol mm-hmm. (LDL) and increases your good cholesterol. Mm. And so that's just the cardiovascular system.
0: Yeah. And there's so many knock-on effects that these small systems have on the larger symptoms of be they invisible illness or, or very visible illness, but really it all comes down to inflammation and general health that, that the more you laugh and I like that you said healthy humor, the more that you, you pursue healthy humor, the more of an ability you you allow your body to heal itself is what we're getting at here. Yes, and mm-hmm. it, it, and like you said,
1: it's it's totally integrated. We mm-hmm. we can't just say, oh, well, I'm only going to focus on my immune system. I'm only going to focus on my muscle system, or I'm only because they're all interrelated. We're holistic. We mm-hmm. this is why I love psychoneuroimmunology because for a long time you know, medical field in particular thought that the mind was separate. And, Mm. you know, we're just gonna look at the body. And it doesn't matter what the person's thinking, it doesn't matter what they're experiencing. We're just looking at what's wrong with them physically. And now we know you can't tease that apart. It's Mm. all related. Yeah. And so that's our you know, that's in a nutshell, that's what happens in our cardiovascular system. And, and, you know, if you, if you get that right, then, you know, got some good things going for you. Yep. We move into like the respiratory system and it, we're bringing air deep into our lungs. We're forcing it out at speeds. It's been clocked at up to like 70 miles an hour. So people, no way. Yeah. <laughs> wow. it's, it's crazy. And so, you know, because we have this, So our blood becomes better oxygenated. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, when I'm with crowds and I'm helping them to laugh intentionally, one of the things I listen for is coughing because what we find are that some people, you know, maybe they, um, maybe they have a cold, maybe they have bronchitis again. Now the immunoglobulin A is going to come into effect. Um, maybe they are a smoker, um, don't do that. No. Nope. <laughs> don't
0: do that at home, kids. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do it um, anywhere.
1: Or this—this this sounds really crazy, but this is a thing. People, when they get stressed or when they are tense, a lot of times they hold their breath.
0: Oh, I find myself. I catch myself constantly going. Yeah. Oh my! You're not breathing. You know, it's not, not breathing. The thing you really, you know, you when you really realize it is when you're taking a photo with someone and someone says, you know, like pose for the photo, oh, and you realize yeah. that you stop breathing for the five seconds <laughs> to take the photo. Don't. You? This happens to us constantly. It does. It does. I actually had somebody
1: in one of my presentations. She sent me a snapshot of a, a placard she has on her desk, uh, on her computer, and all it says is "Breathe, my dear." Yeah. Like, it sounds so simple. But one of my colleagues, highly educated, an expert in psychoneuroimmunology, and she saw specialist after specialist after specialist because she thought she was experiencing some kind of strange disease that she described as um, waking apnea because what she was like be doing things throughout the day. And then all of a sudden she'd catch herself going <gasps> and like yeah. sucking in air. And they did respiratory studies. They did breathing tests. They did all these panels and studies. And then finally, when she went to uh, yet another physician, he sat down and said, tell me what's going on in your life. And he, and she told her and she's got a you know, a parent with Alzheimer's, a husband with cancer, a daughter with an illness, and just on and on and on. She had an eye disease. And he said, I think what this is is that um, you get so tense during the day that you're holding your breath and you're not aware of it. And this is your body gasping for air. And by gosh, that's what it was.
0: Yeah. And it's so interesting you mentioned this, too, this particular anecdote, because here's a great example of a doctor really doing a good job. Right, mm-hmm. you know, like really saying, let's look at the whole person, yes. and not just what's symptomatic. Yes, yeah,
1: makes a big difference. So, so respiratory-wise, you know, you may experience um, some coughing, and you know, if you have asthma, um, you know, I would check with a physician before I did fifteen to twenty minutes of laughing solid. But mm-hmm. you know, let's work slowly up to that. It is, yeah. it, it is an exercise, and um, you know, really, the only other people that I think this is not a good fit for are people who have just had abdominal surgery. Sure. Uh, you don't want to like split those stitches. No, nope. <laughs> that's, that's a real bummer. That's nothing to laugh about. Nope. So, um, so respiratory wise, very helpful. Um, mm. Musculoskeletal system. Mm. This is why uh, a lot of people experience pain or more pain than they would normally feel because they tense their muscles. Mm. And they have a lot of muscle tension. You know wow. how how many people listening to this have ever had a tight neck or tight shoulders? Or I've got knees? it right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> well, by the time we're done talking, mm-hmm. I want you to compare. <laughs> yep. agreed. I, agreed. I, I will participate in this experiment willingly. Well, <laughs> um, and
1: so they have they've done studies, and so people who have muscle relaxation experience you know, less pain, less tension, less knots, you know, that kind of stuff. Temporal mandibular joint, Uh, TMJ is something that is very prevalent in women who are working and have families. And um, I was, I was working, I had a family, I had small children, I was going to grad school full-time, teaching full-time, family full-time, and um went to my dentist cause I was having pain in my jaw and he said, do you know anybody who grinds their teeth? And I said, no. And he mm-hmm. said, you do <laughs> I <was> like,
0: What? <laughs> look in um, the mirror is what he yeah. said.
1: <laughs> and so, you know, it's like during, you know, during the day you're going, you know, you're, you're being nice and dealing with everyone uh, all day. You're grinding your teeth and then you go to bed at night uh, and
0: then you wake up next morning and think, ah, oh, I can't open my mouth. Yeah. And then uh, chronic pain issues, chronic chronic pain and and migraines and stuff for a lot of people. Yes.
1: So this can, you know, help decrease headaches and Mm. and, and other things associated with muscle tension, even just pain itself. Um, I think actually through a couple of different ways, um, one is possibly through distraction. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, you know, why, especially if it's something that you have no control over. I mean, you know, you're in a waiting room in the doctor's office and, you know, and it's like, he's running behind. There's nothing you can do about that. Right. You know, how can you distract yourself or reframe? That's one Mm -hmm. of the things I I teach people. And so distraction is good, but even beyond distraction, they've done studies, for instance, one study that they've done are with people, the way they, the way they induce pain for people is, um, nonviolent, nobody was harmed in the making of this experiment, but they have them put their hand in ice water. Mm. And, you know, at some point that becomes uncomfortable. And the longer they can hold their hand in the ice water, the greater their pain tolerance. Mm. And so they found that uh, both adults and children were able to experience greater pain tolerance after they had experienced humor.
0: Wow. Yeah. I I think, I think what's really interesting. It's like, what you're telling us here is groundbreaking information. You know, I think we know that, that in general, it's good to have a good laugh, just like it's good to have a good cry sometimes, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, that's sort of, it's sort of what we're, we're taught from the word go, but this is where there's scientific data that is, that is supporting the, the true, the, the actual fact, you know, that, that laughter is healing and not just for small issues in the body, but also for something like chronic pain, adding that into a treatment regimen is going to really support you.
1: It's not because the reader's digest says it's the best medicine, right? This, this is why I have stayed with this work for 30 years. Even when people said there's got to be a better way to make a living. <laughs>
0: is you know, there how no, you're laughing for a living? <laughs>
1: but but um, but this is so exciting to me. Yeah, but we're discovering, and and we're we're you know there's still lots more to come here. Mm. Um, and so you know, pain management is something that's really, really very helpful for people, whether it's a scene uh, illness or disability or an unseen. Mm. And so, you know, we've, uh, that's the, the, uh, the cardiovascular, the respiratory, um, somewhat we've talked about the immune system. Um, mm. uh, let's talk also about, um, you, this, this is physiological and psychological in terms of alertness. Yeah. Um, mm. people experience more alertness after, they have experienced tumor they experience more creativity they experience more focus lots of lots of benefits and th- those have to do with the brain and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that more later mm-hmm. but in terms of people also with the inflammation um you know inflammation in the body exacerbates cancer it yeah. exacerbates alzheimers yeah. it exacerbates immune autoimmune disorders absolutely um, all of these things are tied in. And so one of the effects of humor also is to lower cortisol. Mm-hmm. And so when we lower cortisol, it's like, you know, it's like dousing out the fire, mm-hmm. lowering it, at least for periods of time. So your body has an opportunity to heal itself. But you know, people with skin diseases, eczema, psoriasis, those kinds of things, those are, are things that it, it deals with um, people who experience diabetes, you know, mm. this is, again, this is something that if we can lower their c- cortisol, um, in addition, the cortisol uh,
0: being the stress hormone,
1: the right? stress hormone. Yeah. And in, it, it is the major bad juju in terms yeah. of creating that inflammation throughout our body. And, yeah. um, so we really want to get a handle on that. Um, when I wrote, what's so funny about diabetes Um, one of the studies that I came across, and this was one that I did also mention in the TED Talk, was the fact that um, it lowers blood glucose. Now, Mm -hmm. this is for people who have diabetes or who are pre-diabetic. It doesn't lower the blood glucose of someone who's healthy and has a normal blood glucose level. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that we saw a decrease in is Proteins, the renin and angiotensin in um, in our blood was also lowered, and these are the culprits in um, creating kidney d- disease, chronic oh, kidney wow. disease. And so, this is why people who have diabetes often end up needing um, renal transplants, kidney transplants, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, you know, it also has to do with the different things to do with the circulation. But again, humor can help with those. And then um, the one of the crazy things that is just so wonderful um, (laughs) that they did in a study and in a repeat study, it's not just one, um, that persons with diabetes who practiced humor, Mm. they also saw positive changes beyond the level of DNA. They saw it at the genetic level and what what we're talking about here. Yeah. That just gave me chills. Yeah. What we're talking about here is epigenetics. Yeah. Epigenetics. What if you are a young adult with diabetes and by practicing your medical regime, but adding humor to it, Mm -hmm. what if you could change your epigenetics? Um, That's Unreal, you know, but it's real, (laughs) but it's, it's it's amazing. It is real. It is real. And, you know, with the, um, level of persons experiencing diabetes now at an all time high right now, it's one out of 10. And by 2050, they are estimating it could be one out of three. Wow. What we're doing, is not working? We need to be looking for ways outside the box. Yep. And why not add this to your regime? You have nothing to lose. Sure. Maybe it won't change your genetics, but maybe it will. And in the meantime, you've created a healthier, happier you and a better quality of life.
0: Well, and that's where we tie into the psychological element as well. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. About. Yeah. Yes, because
1: psychologically, so, you know, physiologically, we can say that it, For every body system that is negatively affected by stress, which Mm. is pretty much every body system, we can now see a positive effect with humor and laughter. Mm. And so to explain and convince people to start making this part of your daily routine can be a game changer. Yeah. So we've looked at the physiological. Let's look at the psychological for a minute, because in terms of psychology, humor will lower anxiety. Absolutely, it decreases stress. It increases creativity. It increases focus. One of the things that we find when we do when we look at the brain, going back to that again, one of my colleagues, Dr. Lee Burke, he is one of the leading researchers up at Loma Linda here Mm. in California, he studied the brain and he studied, this was on live people (laughs) (laughs) and and he, he put people into two groups. Um, one group, actually three, I think one group just, they did nothing, maybe just, you know, read reading material or whatever, Mm. but one group watched saving private Ryan. If you haven't seen that, um, it's a very terror. stressful movie. Yeah. Yes, very stressful. Very stressful movie. And then um, the other group experienced humor, and he gave them a couple of choices. And this is important, because what's funny for me might not be funny for you.: Sure. And so they tried to factor some of that in mm. so that you know that it really was something that they found humorous. And what they found when they looked at their brains was not only is this a, a whole brain activity, but we all they also were able to measure brain waves and and not just alpha beta delta theta now because of our technology we can also measure gamma waves and gamma waves we used to think of as artifact back in the day when it was analog it was like oh you know we don't know what that is but it's it's not anything mm-hmm. now we know it really is something mm-hmm. and the gamma waves are across your entire brain it connects all parts of your brain and when people people who in the past have have been seen to have this gamma wave pattern are people who are experiencing and practicing deep meditation yeah. and deep mindfulness.
0: And we we know that there are scientific studies that support meditation and mindfulness for healing as well.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. And we know that when people are in that state from those studies, that they are experiencing being in the flow, um, being focused, being productive, feeling connected. And so we are, we are making that bridge that you know, these are the things that people are experiencing with gamma wave patterns in meditation and mindfulness. This is what we, um, are seeing also in people who are experiencing humor. And this is, you know, this is a gateway for us to start doing some really cool research on that, but this mm-hmm. is something that really has only, um, been measured. You know, it's been about five years. It's, it's just really oh, it's very, very
0: new. Yeah.
1: Very new in terms of science and research. This is really, really hot stuff.
0: Yeah, super exciting. It is
1: very exciting. And so for people who, you know, they're experiencing mood swings and they're experiencing crying, you know, I will say, um, crying is really very good for you. Mm. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's cathartic. It's cleansing. It's just, if you're yep. crying all the time, it starts to upset the people around sure.
0: you. And, well, and, so, and if you're crying all the time, it might even be too much for you. It's very yes. from humor, I think, in the way yes. that your body's processing it. Now, uh, one, uh, one researcher
1: that I talked to said that the tears of laughter mm. and the tears of crying are similar, but they are different than the tears of when you get something in your eye, because the tears of crying and laughter contain exocrines. And exocrines are, are things that build up in your body that your body needs to rid itself of. And we, you know, we rid it through breathing and we rid it through urination and, and all the other ways that we, you know, sweat it out.
0: Literally waste disposal. It's
1: waste disposal. And now we find that it can also be through our tears of laughter. So I, I, my, one of my homework assignments to people is, you know, have you seen steel magnolias Mm -hmm. or the group who says, no, all right. You know, pull it up on Amazon Prime or somewhere and just watch it from the beginning. Yeah. For the rest of you who've seen it before, do as I do about every 28 days, I fast forward to the graveyard scene.
0: Yeah. I am like
1: Pavlov's dog and <laughs> you know when I I can't imagine anything more any more painful than what she's going through. And and mm-hmm. Sally Field's character is she's standing in the graveyard and she's beating her chest and she says, I just feel so bad. I just wish I could hit someone and make them feel as bad as I do. And Olivia Dukakis grabs Shirley McLean and says, Here, hit Weezer. <laughs> in a nanosecond, you go from crying to laughing.
0: Yeah. And
1: you know, even um even Dolly Parton's character, Truvy says, laughter through tears is my favorite emotion.
0: Mm. So
1: it, it's, it's something that's very cleansing. And I, I do, I think crying is very good for people, but, and sometimes when people will come to me and say, I, I can't bring myself to laugh. Why can't I laugh? Mm. I ask them, are you done crying yet? You know, it's oh, because sometimes you just, you need, sometimes you need to cry before you can laugh. They're and very
0: closely related, yeah. They're
1: very closely related. They're actually on a spectrum. When I when I poll my audiences, almost everybody has laughed till they cried and cried till they laughed. You know, mm-hmm. it's just you just can go back and forth and back and forth. And so they're very very healthy for you. Um humor's also a way for us to express anger and frustration in a socially acceptable way. Yeah. And When I'm dealing with health professionals and and coaches and um, leaders, I tell them to listen beyond the laughter Mm. because sometimes a joke is just a joke, but sometimes it's somebody reaching for help.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: And if we don't respond the way that they hoped we would respond, they still have the ability to save face. Mm. But if we listen and we're really good listeners, maybe we can discover just what it is that they're afraid of or they're frustrated about. So
0: psychologically speaking, you're saying that it's not just about what you're experiencing mm -hmm. if you're the person who's laughing or crying, but it's also Mm -hmm. about how we're communicating with other people and the emotional responses that we have. Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. Incredible
0: communication
1: tool. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so dealing with our stress, dealing with our anxiety, Here's another interesting thing, Lauren. What we've known in terms of stress is that there is what we call an anticipatory effect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's early in the month, and you're looking at your checkbook, and you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, what am I going to do at the end of the month when this bill comes? You know, am I going to have enough money to cover it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're not actually at the end of the month, you're not actually experiencing that, but you're worrying about it. And your body doesn't know the difference between the first of the month and the end of the month. It just starts affecting you as if it's really happening. Cortisol is going up, muscle tension's going up, you're feeling scared, your anxiety is going up. All these things and the event hasn't happened. How many, yeah. Have you ever had an experience where you really got worried sick about something and it never
0: happened? Oh yeah, well and I my therapist says to me, don't worry about things twice. Whenever oh, I'm anticipating, you know. you know the advice she says she gives me is worry about it when it happens. And for me that's been a real key unlocking yes. that that potential to not feel the stress if I do. Yes. But yes. it's amazing yes. how when when I was taught that it also gave me a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And having that humor to break through the muscle tension and you know the the tension in our respiratory system and everything that you're saying physiologically that can yes. help us release psychologically. Yes. The implications here are huge. They're
1: huge. Yeah. They are huge. And so here's the thing. Now we know there is an anticipatory effect with humor.
0: Mmm. That's so exciting. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I may be geeking out on this episode more than I have ever before. <laughs> I'm telling you, because
1: all the things that we just talked about that humor can do for you, mm. it can do
0: just thinking about it. Well, well isn't it that kind of thing? It's like, oh, you had to be there. It's when you're laughing at about a story or a joke and you can't get the words out to tell someone else because you're just remembering it and it's making you crack up. And that in itself, what you're saying, our data is showing us that that that's the anticipatory effect that's going to have a totally positive effect on our entire body.
1: Absolutely. And so this is part of what I teach people is Mm. how can you develop a repertoire of things that amuse you Mm. that you can tap into any place, anytime. YouTube's very handy for that. (laughs) YouTube's very handy. And that's really accessible. And that's part of what I teach in terms of your environment. But even in your head, I Mm. must have at least half a dozen stories that if I'm stuck behind the steering wheel and I can't pull up YouTube on my phone, I go back mentally to the time my mom and I were in a store and she saw the display, the food display and this lovely skillet. And she was she just knew it was all fake. So she went out and stuck her finger in it and yoke starts running all over. And, you know, she's looking so puzzled at her (laughs) finger and looking and the woman behind the display is, is looking at my mom and she goes, why did you do that? You know, when my mom, when it dawns on her now, you know, that's not necessarily funny to somebody else, but this was a story that my mom and I used to tell all the time, remember the time. And we didn't even have to tell the story. It's kind of like number 42. Yeah. I was like, remember the time and we would just begin to laugh and mm-hmm. just thinking about that memory, anticipating that, that memory put us physically and psychologically and even socially in a better mm-hmm. frame.
0: I think and that's so, so great.
1: It's wonderful. You know, we're, I'm anticipating going to see, um, a, a comedy show with mm-hmm. one of my besties. Um, I have, uh, somebody, who, uh, an accountability partner. Mm-hmm. And every day we text back and forth and send one another humorous things. I'm, I'm anticipating something yeah. fun happening and it hasn't happened yet, but already, you know, it's like
0: boom, boom, yeah. boom. And,
1: and in it, a way,
0: you know, because we're talking about the accessibility of humor too. Like you think about the way the internet has expanded, right? And social media and and, you know, short form video and memes and yes. things like that, that it's so easy to get cracked up nowadays too. And and in fact, I would say that that there are more feeds out there, um, be they through social media or on websites that are dedicated to humor than there are to anything else, because in a way we're all seeking that kind of medicine, aren't we? Yes, we are. This episode is sponsored by Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible, this August they are offering you $50 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E-M-B-R Enter code INVISIBLE50 at checkout and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me.
1: This, this leads us to one of the last things that I want to mention, because we talked about physiological and we talked about psychological, but I do just want to make a quick statement about social. Yeah. Because many people have heard the quote by Victor Borg, laughter is the shortest distance between two people. Mm. And now we know part of the reason that is. Um I like to point out to people, especially when I'm working with international audiences, that laughter has no accent and that this is something that can bond and connect us. But now at the brain level, we understand even a little bit better why that happens, Hmm. because one of the things that's released when we are sharing healthy humor with another person is the release of oxytocin. Of course and oxytocin is what bonds us. This is what mothers, you know, experience when they have their children and with them and all. But you can experience that with another person. And so it's bonding you, bringing you closer together. Mm. And so this is so powerful. And so whether or not um your listeners are feeling isolated because of their disease or you know they're mm. confined to their home or their bed or whatever that may be studies have, have shown also that social isolation is much more um, harmful yeah. than what we previously thought um, that you know somebody who is seriously socially isolated you know that's the equivalent of smoking like more than eight to ten cigarettes a day it's really wow. not good for our our system we no. were really designed to be more social so even if you can socialize through technology, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, um, you know, I have friends across the country and periodically we now we FaceTime or we zoom or we do something to have that connection. It's wonderful that we have that. Um, but you know, sending cards to people if if you don't have the technology, Mm -hmm. um, you know, finding ways to share humor with other people and, and one of, the, uh, one of the things about this also, and this is an important point, particularly for leaders, but for anybody, mm. is that exhibiting humor increases your likability. Mm. In if you read Robert Cialdini's book on influence, likability is, is extremely important for influence. It's important for connection. And if we experience humor with another person, we're influencing them by increasing our likability. Now there's 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 caveats to that obviously you know and you have, it has to be a humor that you both agree on and sure. that it's healthy humor blah 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 but what a wonderful way and even reason to connect cuz I know years ago um somebody was saying you know because I'm I'm an entrepreneur and I have to do sales and mm. I was like I don't know how to do sales and they say you have to contact people every day and it's like and do what, but to say what, buy me, you know, and so, <laughs> yeah. you know, people don't want to buy, you know, they don't want to buy, but they, people want to buy. They don't want to be sold to.
0: They want but, to connect
1: though. Yeah. And so now I realize. oh, I just, I stay top of mind by sending them periodically something fun, something yeah. funny. And that brings us closer together. And if I can stay top of mind, more likely to buy from me. But if it's a neighbor, if it's a friend, if it's somebody in your church, relative, whatever, Mm -hmm. if you can share some humor, you're going to increase the connection and decrease your social isolation. And that's that's also
0: what's interesting that I'm thinking about as you're saying this is that it doesn't just apply, you know, socially or personally, as well as professionally, but it also applies in the medical system, right? Like I think about the doctors on my team who I have the best relationships with are the ones I sit and crack jokes with, you know? And I've found that we have a humor in common and that almost the minute one or the other of us cracked a joke early on in our relationship, it sort of sealed the deal for us. And we've been yes. able to work together so much better and have more open communication because of that, which is so important in general, but particularly when you're someone who goes through the medical system, often not being
1: believed. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And
1: with humor, if you're using, particularly if you're using a little bit of self-effacing humor, mm. um, and this is for you know, the person receiving the care or giving the care. If you are sharing humor, that's a little bit self-effacing. This shows a little bit of vulnerability, which increases trust. Subliminally we're thinking, Oh, this person is safe. Mm. And so if we want to have that relationship of trust, Uh, whether it's with our doctors, our nurses, or whoever it is in our healthcare provider system, this is just one of the means that we can do it, but it's a means that people often overlook. Yeah,
0: and there's certainly, I mean, that's a delicate balance too when it comes to self-effacing humor, because I think also when you're fighting for advocacy in the healthcare and medical industries and also trying to connect to someone, it can be a very thin line, can't it, between too much being too self-effacing and and not advocating enough for oneself. So you have to find a way to strike the balance in a healthy way. I'm glad you brought that up. I often tell
1: people that when you're using self-effacing humor, make fun of your actions and not who you are. Oh, I like that. Because it's easier to admit that you made a mistake than it is to admit you are a mistake.
0: Oh, that gives me chills.
1: Yes. And so, you know, humor can be a tool or a weapon Yeah, you know, it can be a tool to help others to help yourself. It can be a tool to hurt others or to hurt yourself
0: Sure. Well, that's why you're using healthy humor as a term as well And I think that makes a lot of sense because there are ways in which humor can go very dark very fast if we're not careful too. Like as with everything in moderation, but then a ton of it when you find the sweet spot (laughs) There you go. There you go. That's
1: exactly right
0: so you know, it doesn't take too long a glance at your resume, um, and people can see this on your website um, to see that invisible illness plays a huge role in your work. Yes. Um, you're on the board of the Invisibil- Invisible Disabilities Association, yes. and you, in 2009, you were the recipient of the Invisible Disabilities Advocate healthcare honors award. Yes. So can you tell us what drew you to the invisible and chronic illness community and how yeah. that's impacted your work? Cause I know you have personal experience with this.
1: I do. I do with a couple, well, actually three different ways. Um, mm-hmm. the first was with my youngest son who was experiencing a very mysterious illness that, um, went on for seven years, never successfully diagnosed, never really successfully treated. Um, and it was this, um, this experience or malady where he would start to, um, he would have a sensation of something itching on the side of his head. And then that would last 15 or 20 seconds. And then he would get a a funny taste in his mouth that he called bad bananas. And then after 15 or 20 seconds, he would just be stricken by this explosive pain that went across the front of his head, that literally would knock him to the floor. And, um, this would last 15 or 20 minutes and it left him writhing and crying and mm. kicking and screaming. And during the episode, he would be aware of what was going on, but he couldn't hear anything because inside of his head was this loud, metallic clanging noise. Oh gosh. And then as it would start to subside, he would get a tingling sensation on the bottom of his feet. And then he would be paralyzed from the neck down for 90 minutes. Almost oh, goodness. a minute. It was just like, in about 20 minutes, he would start to get a sensation in his toes and then in his feet. And then eventually he could start to move his fingers and then his arms. And then at 90 minutes, he could start to move again. And we saw doctors across the country and they were lined up like kids in a candy store wanting to solve this medical mystery.
0: And how old was your son at the time, by the way? At the
1: time when it hit, he was 13. Okay. And this persisted then until he was 20. Until he was 20. And when he was 13 years old uh, and in seventh grade, he missed six months of school. We had no (sighs) idea this was going to be so chronic. Right. But um, yeah. And, and people, particularly teachers started making remarks about how, you know, he's just, he's trying to get out of school. Mm -hmm. And what they didn't realize about my child was, I mean, Granted, he wasn't that crazy about classes, although he was a gifted student, but he was Mr. Social Butterfly. To miss out on all that was going on with his friends was torture. Yeah. But we couldn't let him go to school and have an episode where he would get trampled on the stairs. And so, you know, our rule was that he had to have at least five days without an episode because sometimes they would be a month apart. And then at other times he would have six to eight a day. And that's how we would spend our whole day. Wow. It was just crazy because it just, when you're in the midst of it, you don't realize how crazy it is. Mm -hmm. But it was like, when, when he was in those phases, it was like, okay, he just had another episode and he's probably not going to have one for another 90 minutes at least, or two hours. You know, son, would you like to go out play outside for a minute? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I got to run to the grocery store and he could have these while he's eating, while he's playing, while he's, running around, even in his sleep, he mm-hmm. would be awakened with these. And so it was torturous. And yeah. people would start saying things, and I know they were probably well-meaning for the most part, but they started saying things like, you know, if you would just be stricter with him, I'm sure he would sh- he would shape up. Ooh, Because they would see him in between these episodes, and then he was just a normal 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old. This is and- so
0: typical of the way we get flare ups with invisible illness. And oh, everything was, looks fine when you're yes. not sick. He was, yeah. he was devastated.
1: He was just yeah. devastated. And at one point we were contacted by, uh, one of the many places we went to was the diamond headache clinic in Chicago. Mm. And um, they had been contacted by the CBS news show 48 hours mm. and they wanted to do a special on pain. And so they reached out to them saying, do you know of any children? Um, that we might interview. And they said, you know, we, we can't say yes for them, but here's the con. So, Mm. so um, the CDS contacted us and, and my husband at the time, his first response was no way. Mm. And I said, you know, this is, this is really Adam's decision. And Adam said, if this, if this could help someone, um, Mm. even one person, I want to do it. And well, that's uh,
0: a really mature decision to make when you're quite young as well. Yes.
1: And as an aside, it helped a number of people, you know, who Mm. who contacted us or diamond clinic or, or um, CBS. And during this 15 minute segment that they did just on him, um, we had video footage of him experiencing these episodes. Mm. And once they put that on national television, um, particularly in our hometown, the people who saw it, Said, "Oh my gosh, I had no idea." And yeah. I said, "Yeah, I know you didn't." Yeah. Um, and there was still some judgment by some people, but you know that was probably my biggest lesson was the judgment. Yeah. Um, but people couldn't see what was wrong with him, so he, they just assumed he was making this up. Yeah. And um,
0: that was and heartbreaking. Isn't, isn't that a situation too where humor could have bridged the gap, or you know, in in him coping with with his illness, like, did, did you guys ever turn to the research that you were doing at the time and say, well, maybe if we take you to a comedy show or. <laughs>
1: well, the good news is um, he ended up actually moving to Chicago and studying with second city. Oh, how funny. <laughs> I will say that um, he inspired me because I mean, he's naturally funny and he makes mm-hmm. me look like paint drying on a wall, <laughs> but, but he used, A lot of humor and obviously we weren't laughing all the time but he used a lot of humor with his nurses and physicians I remember this one physician in particular um because like I said neurologists lined up outside the door like kids in a candy store all wanting to this one came in and goes I'm going to you know discover this disease and I'm going to cure it and I'm going to name it after me that's a bit
0: egotistical
1: and my (laughs) son looked at him and goes and me Um, yeah (laughs) But this one guy comes in with a, a video tripod. I mean, this is back in, you know, this has been, a, this has been like 20 years ago. So he comes in with a tripod and this video recorder and he sets it up and he turns it on my son and he's, then he's, Pulls out his pad and pen and starts looking down, never made eye contact again. And he's asking the same 99 questions that we'd heard over and over again to my 13-year-old. And then finally, question 100, he asked something that neither Adam or I had ever heard before. And he said to Adam, have you ever experienced deja vu? And without missing a beat, Adam leans toward him real close and says, didn't you just ask me that? And I mean, Adam and I just hit the floor. We were laughing so hard. The doctor never even looked up. He just paused and said, clever, you know, just moved right on, just moved right on. Yeah. So, um, but those were the things I remember one time, um, <coughs> he was 16 and one of the nurses came in and put a, they were doing an EKG and mm-hmm. she had put patches on his chest. And she starts ripping them off. And then she went to rip this one off. He goes, he yelled, just scared her death. He goes, don't. And she said, what? And he goes, I have a hair on my chest. One just hair. I goes, you're about to pull it off. Goes, <laughs> and so he stopped her and just re- very dramatically, gently peeled it off and uh, stained the hair. And I mean, she's just crying. Yeah. But, you know, those are the kinds of
0: things. The and, connections that you have with your team and with yes. the people around you. It's just, It just goes to show how important a role humor plays in those situations. Yes. We had a that lot was, of support. So. Yeah. And, and was it also something like, did it play a role for you as a, a caregiver? Cause it, and it wasn't just your one son, but we know the other one, yeah. your other son, when you talk about this in the TEDx talk too, yeah. um, got sick as well. And, and, you know, I'm interested to hear yeah. the role that humor played in, yeah. in healing, not only for them, but also for you and for yeah. the family.
1: Um, my, other son, while I was in about year five with Adam going through his mysterious malady, which again, seven years later, completely disappeared. We don't know why, but that was, we're very happy about that. Mm. Um, But at that time, my oldest son, who was a sophomore in college at the time, um, had a pain in his chest and discovered it was cancer. And so we went through, you know, weeks and months of chemotherapy and surgery and and just all sorts of issues that were really painful and very scary for him. And again, um, whereas my youngest son is somebody who is very much—he's an extrovert and he's the—he was the class clown. Mm. Um, my other son, more stoic, more quiet. But if you if you watch and listen close you know, you catch all sorts of humor. And um, before he had been diagnosed with cancer, he had worked um, with a a group of of guys and he and his bestie, um, they had been given the names Tonto and the Lone Ranger for reasons I don't understand. But, um, you know, a mom doesn't ask. And at one point during his um, chemo, all these guys come over and everybody's laughing and cracking up. And and when they left, he was smiling bigger than I'd ever seen him smile through this whole ordeal. And I said, what was going on in there? And he said, Oh, they gave me a new nickname. And I said, really, what, what was that? He said, chemo sabi, <laughs> and, you know, we're both it's just cracking up. So, you know, it was really a very important part of his healing process and yeah. his, coping, his coping. I was just, it was so, you know, two people, very different ways mm. of expressing themselves, but I was so glad that they had picked that up through my studies and I, and, and myself, I mean, I even contacted some of the people past clients and said, you know, here's what's going on in my life. And I just have to tell you, thank goodness this stuff works because otherwise yeah. I'd have to call you back and say, you know, all that stuff I told you, A load of crap. So, <laughs> Um, you know, and, and then it went on to help with my mom. And, you know, she was just this amazing woman Mm. who later uh, developed the thing she feared most, which was Alzheimer's. Yeah, And, you know, it's just, I, I'm doing a project now for the Alzheimer's organization um, for the longest day on June 21st. And I, what I'm telling people is that Alzheimer's, is no joke, but it can be a laughing matter. And she (laughs) said to me on multiple occasions, um, I'm so glad that I've learned the importance of humor. And Mm. she said, you know, she said, I'm not laughing all the time, but I can find the humor in things. And she said, your dad's not there yet.
0: Mm.
1: And, and it, you know, the reason for that is that, so much of our humor when, we, when we're when we adults, and really, I'm sure this is the case for your listeners, so much of our humor comes from pain and discomfort. Mm-hmm. We're not laughing about a big fat paycheck or a great hair day. We're laughing about the things that make us crazy. Yeah. And, you know, so she could laugh about the fact that she had people over for dinner and never turned on the stove, um, you know, that we would all laugh about the mystery meals of, you know, <laughs> did something get put in or did something get left out? But... <laughs> but you can't experience humor from pain until you've experienced some emotional distance. Mm. And she, even though she was the person that had the illness, she had that emotional distance. My dad did not. It was just too painful for him to see the humor in it. And so, you know, with that kind of experience, it might take you hours, days, weeks, months, even years if ever um, but if you can give yourself permission mm. to reframe it and to yes. maybe try playing with your pain just a little bit mm. that emotional distance can become just just so important in your healing because that allows you the ability to laugh not at the person or laugh at yourself, but you're laughing at your illness. You're laughing at your actions. And, mm-hmm. and it's empowering. Yes. It's empowering. If you can laugh at Alzheimer's, if you can laugh at cancer, you're no longer a victim, you're victor.
0: Yes. Absolutely. I think that's really true. It's about changing the power dynamic.
1: Yes. Isn't it?
0: You know, and, and not letting an illness define who you are, but letting your really choosing to see it in a different way. Right. So what is your take on, you know, we're always, I always ask people about work-life balance because I think it plays such a huge part in the day-to-day, whether or not someone's chronically ill, right? Yes. Yes. But that idea of just being busy, how do you see that reflected in our approach to healthcare and wellness? And, and do you think that laughter can teach us a lesson in muddling our way through all of that, particularly if we're someone who's trying to get through the day-to-day and has limitations because of chronic or invisible illness? Yes. Yes. Um, my husband and I, um, currently we, we talk
1: about this internally and I think at some point we'll, we'll start putting this maybe in the next book. We call it the 2% solution because really, you know, at work, 2% of your eight hour day is 10 minutes. Mm. You know, could you, could you allow yourself 10 minutes? to take a break, you know, and, and use some humor intentionally. I mean, there's so many ways you can use it without being disruptive and without being inappropriate. Hmm. Um, but, but I think that in today's society, we're rewarded for working and becoming workaholics. And yeah, oh my gosh, you hear, it's become a competition. It's so crazy that it's an epidemic, I, really. It, it is. is. And, yeah. and people become competitive. Well, I've got, 700 unread emails in my inbox. Well, that's nothing. I've got a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and you win? I mean, yeah. I like, <laughs> <So true>. seriously? <laughs> but yeah, we're like this competitive, like the one who works the most hours and kills themselves the most is somehow yeah. the winner. Um, you know, and I, I, I have a nursing license still. I, I haven't put my hands on a patient in a really long time, but I did do a stint. In, um, in hospice. Mm. And I can guarantee you, I never cared for a patient who said, doggone it, I wish I'd spent more time at work. Yeah. yeah. Never, never. Yeah. And so, you know, this, this has been a year where um, I've had several people in my life who I'm close to pass away unexpectedly. Mm. And I realized that even though I feel like I'm doing it for a good reason and that I have this worthwhile purpose, you know, I have allowed that to take over so much of my life and that I haven't been staying in touch with people. And so, you know, I have to look at, well, why am I doing what I'm doing? Well, I'm doing it to help make the world a better place. And so that, you know, I can help friends and family or whatever, but you know, if they're not around anymore, am I going to be able to help them? And so, for me um, again, this is all about intentionality.
0: Mm. You know,
1: it's like, what, what can you do intentionally? Uh, one of my, one of my favorite books of all times. And I, this is, I have a top 100 reading list that I recommend to people. And this one is by Viktor Frankl mm. um, Man search for meaning. And he was um, not just um, in um, somebody who was a prisoner in the whole, in the Holocaust, he was in Auschwitz. Mm. And yet, Survived and went on to do great things, and and humor was a part of the role that played in his survival. And I think the most powerful quote for me from him was this Between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space lies our power to choose our response, and in our response lies our freedom and our happiness.
0: Mm. What do
1: you choose to put in that space? You could put more work in that space, you could put anger in that space, you could put anxiety in that space, you could choose not to put anything in that space and respond as you've always responded, mm. or you can be mindful and intentional. And you know, that space between stimulus and response may be a nanosecond, it may be a half a minute, it may be a whatever, but if you can intentionally put love mindfulness compassion humor in that space I think that it helps get things back in order
0: mm-hmm. and I know
1: for me um, I now not only send humorous things via texts and emails and memes and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all those crazy things <laughs> but every day I've got I had a stack of of humorous um, Postcards made, VistaPrint. I mean, you know, cheap, and yeah. I just made it myself. And I handwrite a note to somebody every day.
0: Oh, that's and, lovely. You know, what a nice
1: practice. It, it's it's a game. Ch- it's like so many people are like, I why would you send this? You know, it's not my birthday. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like I'm not sick, and it's like because I thought of you. You know, and and just that connection because really it, so much of this is about connection. connection.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and so putting more humor in your life and putting, you know, that helps you. I think to experience all of those other things. Yeah, you know, the mindfulness and the and the compassion. It's a gateway drug. It is. It's a gateway drug. I like that that drug. (laughs) I'll put that in the next book. I'll trivia. Yes.
0: So, speaking of of drugs, (laughs) um, in what way do you see our healthcare system? Working for patients, and as someone who you know has has been in the system for a while too, you yeah. know, and and in what ways do you see it falling short or requiring improvement? And I'm sure this is going to be a long oh, lines of using this could, yeah, this could be a long involved conversation.
1: <laughs> um, you know, in a nutshell, I think that we have people who care yeah. about patients, and I think that in general, our system ties their hands. Mm. Um, My sister's a physician. Yeah. And um, she left one of the clinics that she loved practicing in because um, they were chastising her for spending more than 9 to 11 minutes with a patient. Yeah. And you can can do that for some people, but if you're really a compassionate and caring physician – And if someone has a complex health problem, it's going to take longer than nine to 11 minutes and you shouldn't punish the physicians. You shouldn't punish the nurses, Um, you know, the workloads that they have. I mean, our healthcare system, one of the things that we're the public hasn't heard a lot about, but those of us in healthcare are hearing a lot about is that um, up until just this last couple of years, the brunt of our healthcare workforce was boomers Mm. Um, they're, they're in it because they're altruistic. They care, they love. um, And now they themselves are starting to enter the healthcare system. Um, As patients. As patients. Yeah. And now we have a, a, you know, a younger generation that uh, through no fault of their own has been socialized that self-sacrifice isn't the number one thing. Mm-hmm. And so, trying to find people who will work weekends and nights and holidays. Yeah. You know, a lot of them are saying to the healthcare employer, that doesn't work for me. It's like, yeah. okay, well, I'm going to tell the patient on the ventilator to just, you know. Yeah, my- exactly.
0: Well, it's and- interesting that you bring that up because I was having a version of that conversation with my endocrinologist of all people mm-hmm. yesterday. You know, the concept of really. that that millennials are now getting a bad rap, right? The Gen Xers and and the millennials are getting this bad rap because they're a different kind of altruistic in that they are more interested in creating their own work that's meaningful to them and in working for someone else's dream to come true. And I think this ultimately ties into how we're looking at all of our systems, but, you know, how it ties into the healthcare system and how it it ties into the humanity of all of that, which is where the humor lives too, isn't it? Yes. Yes.
1: And, you know, for those who have some time to, you know, really spend time with the patient and to, to give that quality of care, it's much easier for them to, to experience humor with their patients. Um, mm-hmm. I will say I, I recently uh, gave a presentation for a, a group of a couple of thousand healthcare providers and, um, you know, one of the gals came up afterwards and hugged me. She says, I haven't laughed for 25 years. She mm-hmm. said, I don't have time anymore. And she's oh, dealing wow. with a, an indigent part of the population who have very little resources. And, um, so she just puts herself out there But it is, it's somebody, you know, she was, she was a boomer and she's somebody who's self-sacrificing. And I'm not saying that certainly isn't good, you know, for people either. Yeah. Where that happy medium is, but right now, you know, insurance companies, the one thing that I will say I'm hopeful and, and, and maybe, um, encouraged with is the fact that finally insurance companies are starting to see the value of people staying well. And do you really,
0: do you see that? I haven't quite hit that one yet.
1: (laughs) I am seeing it and it's not all insurance providers. No, but there are many insurance providers who are collaborating with um, employers. Sure. And, you know, rewarding them if their employees maintain a good weight and don't smoke and, and, you know, and the, they allow them, you know. They reimburse for a wellness visit. I mean, you know, it hasn't been that long ago um, for me that I went for a wellness visit with a new insurance provider, and they're like, "Oh no, we don't, we don't pay for that." I was like, "Are you fracking crazy? You <laughs> you don't pay for that." You know, it's like I'm going for a mammogram. Well, you know, that's just, uh, you know, that's just wellness. That's it's not mm-hmm. because you have breast cancer. I mean, those are the kinds of crazy things.
0: Yeah, but, you
1: know, when we get penalized. For taking care of preventive
0: care, and so
1: I also see um, it's not typically hospitals per se or clinics per se, but I have seen a lot of um, long term care and also like cancer centers and things like that, where as they look into different kinds of um, complementary things that they can do to keep their people well that they're looking into things like humor and meditation Mm -hmm. and art and music and how can we bring these other alternatives in to help make people healthier. And so we still have a real long ways to go. And overall, um, I just, I just would like to throw our whole healthcare system into next week because right now I think it's, it's very broken and I, I think it may even get more broken before
0: it gets gets better. Yeah. I I I'm with you there too but the good thing is that there are people like us who are having these conversations That's right you know That's right. that we can uh, yeah yeah and 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 working to to really repair from the inside out repair yeah. ourselves and repair the system so sort of coming back around to the invisible illness sphere. Uh How, how do you see us keeping dialogue and awareness open in terms of invisible illness? Do we need like an invisible illness comedian now or (laughs) (laughs) how do we, how do we keep integrating these holistic approaches and advocating for that kind of care and, and keeping people well and working on these preventive models rather than, than the sick care model. You know, I
1: love people. Um, like Wayne Cannell, who is, you know, he's the, he and his wife, Sherry, are the, the co-founders of the Invisible Disabilities Association. Mm-hmm. And every year they have an annual banquet. And he's been so savvy about not just recognizing people who um, are doing things right, and not just people who are very, very interested in invisible disabilities, but he brings in others who's who they need to have their awareness raised Mm -hmm. and who, when they, you know, can come and experience this and see this, that they can, um, they can be exposed to and get caught up in some of the excitement, enthusiasm of what could be. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, he always has fun themes and I think it was a year or so ago, his theme was all about humor and healthy Mm -hmm. humor, you know, and, but he's involved different because I think, that one group by itself may not be loud enough to get their voice heard, but I know that he also, you know, coordinates with, you know, people who are with the MS and Mm -hmm. people who have to do with brain disease and, um, you know, cancer and other kinds of unseen, you know, immune disorders and all of these Mm -hmm. things. And so I think that collaboration is really important. Uh, And I think being the squeaky wheel and, you know, uh, he uses a lot of humor, but he also is very, very serious. He and, and Sherry both. They, I mean, Lord knows they are dealing with this 24-7, you know, yeah. with She has MS and she has Lyme disease and she has um, uh, chemical sensitivities and all sorts mm-hmm. of things and, and, you know, and and I've learned a lot from them and seeing how people who don't know better treat the situation and even people who do know better. That's crazy too. Um, so, so, you know, staying out there, making sure that you're doing the best that you can and finding other members of your tribe, bringing more people in and making your voice louder and louder and louder because Mm -hmm. eventually we're going to be so loud that we can't be ignored.
0: Well, we're all starting to find each other more and more easily. So that's a good thing. It is a good thing yeah um well, Karen, uh, yeah. I like to wrap up my interviews with a top three list and okay I think, I think this will be fun for you <laughs> awesome. Awesome. um I was wondering if you could give us your top three tips for someone who suspects they might be entering the world of chronic invisible illness. Mm. Well, let me
1: give you um you know first of all, I guess I would tell them, find you and listen to <laughs> your podcast. Hopefully um, they are
0: already doing that. <laughs> yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but I'll give you my top three humor tips, please. In terms of, you know, what do you do and how do you cope with this and how do you deal with yeah. this? Um, because you know, we can cope with things short term and humor is great for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I though like to help people be more resilient and to do that and to build your bandwidth. Um, it means making deposits before you continually make withdrawals, you know, if you're, you know, if you're constantly withdrawing from your bank without making any deposits, pretty soon they close your account. Um, And they frown on that. And so, um, you know, they don't go, oh, keep doing that. We think that's a great idea.
0: Yeah, It's no good for um, your credit score. And it's no good for for your body's credit score. Right. And exactly.
1: (laughs) So we want to raise your body's credit score. And so um, first and foremost, um, I would say choose humor intentionally. Mm. You know, going back to stimulus response, um, there's a lot of things you can put in that space. Yeah. But to start recognizing that humor is one of your choices to intentionally put in that space. Because my guess is every person listening to this experiences humor by chance. Mm. And it's great when that happens. Yeah. But how many of them are experiencing humor by choice and being intentional every day. I would say that if you would just add 10 minutes a day of intentionally choosing humor, um, that it could be a game changer. Mm. And the second thing that I would recommend is, um, to see funny. And I'll, Mm. I'll explain that a little bit. Um, which A lot is of ironic, people,
0: ironic given the unseenness
1: yes, of invisible
0: illness. Right? Yes, good catch.
1: <laughs> and here's what I mean by that: because so many people think when they hear that I'm advocating humor, they think I'm advocating comedy. Mm, it's and different. It's different. Mm. There's, you know, there's three purposes, in my opinion. There's three purposes of humor, and one is entertainment, but that's the one. That everybody thinks of all the time. Mm. Um, a second purpose of humor is to influence. And the third purpose of humor is for well being. Yeah. Your health, your resilience, your spirituality, all of those things fall under that. And so it's not about being funny. Mm. Um, if you practice reframing and seeing and hearing and looking for and listening for humor every day, um, you can become funnier without trying. It just it yeah. becomes part of your nature. But um, there's so many things that people over here or, or that, that they miss because their assumption is, well, you don't understand. There's nothing funny happening in my life. Mm. And my response to that is, if that's your belief, that's your reality. And as long as you continue to believe that, that's not going to change.
0: It's the same as what we imagine we create, isn't it? Yes. And so
1: it is. And so, and this goes back to a brain thing again. Mm. um, I think it's also a spiritual thing, but I think it's also a brain thing. It's your reticular activating system. And this is a little finger like projection in the back of your brain. That's a filter. Mm. And when you pay attention to something, it says, oh, that's important to her. I'll make sure she sees or hears more of that. You buy a red car and your brain says, that's important to you. And now on the highway, you see all these red cars and you're thinking, when did everybody buy a red car or <laughs> somebody in your office is pregnant? And all of a sudden you look and and throughout the building, it's like, oh, my everyone's God. pregnant. <laughs> baby boom. People are always praying, but it's just like, this is your filter. And if you tell your brain, it's important for me to see and experience more humor, Mm -hmm. your brain will help you find that. So don't give up. If the first day you don't experience it, you know, don't go, ah, see, I was right. (laughs) But yeah, because if you do it and you experience it, now you have synapses firing. And if you experience it again, they fire again and wire a little more. This is neuroplasticity at work. Neuroplasticity at work. And Hebb's law says that neurons that fire together wire together. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes until you can't not experience the humor around you. So don't worry about being funny. Right. Look to see how can you experience more Mm -hmm. humor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then... I'm going to jump to one um, that might surprise people, but I would say um, become a student of humor. I think yeah. it's that important. Um, there's and that
0: doesn't mean going and taking a comedy class necessarily. Right, right.
1: No, there are so many organizations and papers and magazines and journals and um, a nonprofit organization that's very near and dear to my heart and, and I get no financial compensation from this group, but I just think I love their work. And that's um, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, that's
1: AATH.org. And they work with people in all walks of life to help them experience and apply mm-hmm. more healthy humor. And so there's, there's people out there, there's laughter clubs, there's other kinds of things, but um, you know, people like myself and and many of my colleagues, we have ongoing resources and we do that because we're so passionate about it. But, but we are really, I think very much in the pioneer stages. Yeah. And if you become a student of humor, you're going to, you're going to be riding that wave of so many more things Mm. um, that are beneficial and different ways to Mm. experience it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and one way to do that, because you were talking about sort of like putting your deposits in the bank, right? Yeah. is even as simple as like saying, all right, we're going to set the 10 minutes aside today, but like, I'm going to start making a playlist of things that crack me up or, yes. or like when something funny happens, like, My mom and I had something happen to us yesterday that, and we'll say one word to each other and we both know it's a funny thing. You just write it down. I know if I think of that, it's a funny thing, you know? So having those resources that are not just resources that are available through organizations like AATA, Absolutely. But also that you have your own personal store of those, right? If you, if you increase the odds, I, you know, I I call this
1: stacking the deck. What can I do to stack the deck? I can put more things on my phone, you Mm -hmm. know, apps. I can bookmark things. I can have more things in my home, in my office. I can follow funny more.
0: accounts on social, <laughs> like, right. you know, yeah. surround
1: yourself with people who are funny and not the people who, you know, there are two kinds of people, those who bring joy when they enter a room and those who bring joy when they leave a room. Because, well, <laughs> You know don't be the latter, you know don't surround yourself with the ladder because those no. people come into a room and they suck up all the good oxygen and then they leave. You want to surround yourself with the people who are uplifting and positive mm. and fun, and you want to do it consistently I'd, I'd say that that's um, a caveat to all of this. Uh, one of my dear friends who's been one of my mentors uh, in business said to me once, "Consistency trumps um commitment every time." Mm. And I so, would agree. Yeah. You know, so just make, a, make an agreement with yourself that every day I'm going to do t- 10 minutes minimum. You know, you can always do more, but every day, 10 minutes, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to listen to something or I'm going to find something or I'm going to reminisce and meditate on a past experience. And, you know, there's no need to buy any equipment. There's no need to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You, you have all of this accessible to you right now, right here.
0: Yeah. Well, Karen, this has just been an absolutely gorgeous and, and really eye-opening interview. And I thank you so much for, for joining us today. Can you tell us where guests can find you and your work online? Absolutely.
1: Um, I'm going to say the best place right now to go, I've, I've developed actually a special link for mm. people who are interested in learning more and ongoing and what I call prizes of unspeakable value. Mm. And um, that web link is just humor for me that's I made it short easy yeah humor for me and if they go there um start off right away by downloading um it's a sample copy of the book that's coming out with forbes this fall Fantastic. Uh, not a, a copy but a sampler chapters. it's like yeah yeah sample the sample chapters and things mm-hmm. and also you know if if you're willing then you want updates on research and all that kinds of good stuff that trip's my trigger and hopefully trips yours. Um, if you go there, we'll make sure that you get that on a regular basis.
0: That is so fantastic. And we're going to link to everything as well on, on the episode page and, um, certainly link to the books cause you've written a number of books and contributed to a number of books, including some of the chicken soup for the soul books. Yep. So, um, we're going to link to all that stuff and to your wonderful work, um, on the episode page. And, um, thank you so much for joining us. And I really, I know that everyone's going to get so much, out of this. And at the end of the day, what have we learned here today, guys? Humor heals. Yes. Thank you for teaching us one of the most important lessons we could have learned. Thank you. It's been my absolute pleasure. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at UninvisiblePod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.